Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Javier Fernandez, the CFO at Omaha Public Power District. This one I'm really excited about because... A lot of us in reliability, we have problems with understanding the financial aspects of what we're trying to do, and he's going to shed some light on it for us so we can understand how to better position our reliability initiatives in the eyes of the financial professionals that we work for. This is a great podcast. What are we talking about today? We discuss the difference between operating and capital expenditures. We discuss depreciation and we discuss what a CFO looks for in reliability initiatives. I'm hoping to outsource some of the administrative work that comes with producing the content that I produce. So in This year, you're going to hear some more ads on this show, and you may see some ads in some of the other content I produce. Now, if your company does sell products and services to reliability professionals and you're looking to, you know, spread the word about your company, just reach out to me. There's some opportunities for advertising, so reach out to me. Send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com, and we can discuss our options at Rob's Reliability Project for your company. The last thing I got for you today, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered on the show, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Now, just before we jump into the episode, I lost the first question I asked Javier. So we're just going to start off with Javier talking about his background, and then we'll get into the interview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right. I'm, I am excited for this one. We have a special guest today, Javier Fernandez, the CFO at Omaha Public Power District. I'm really excited about this one, and, and you know, a long time on this show We've spent a lot of time on reliability engineering. We've even done some health stuff. But one of the gaps I really see in reliability is the gap between the maintenance and reliability folk and the finance folks. And I'm hoping today we can answer some of those questions. So I'm excited about this one. Now, Javier, before we we get into the nuts and bolts of finance, do you want to give us a little background on yourself? Like, how'd you get your start in the industry? Sure. Um, well, so I'm um, uh, uh, what I call a recovered investment banker. <laughs> I, uh, for, for almost a decade, prior to joining the utility industry, I did public finance investment banking, which means I was uh, helping entities like school districts, fire districts, cities, counties, etc., cetera, uh, to raise funds through issuing municipal debt to build um, public infrastructure. Um, I did that for about a decade, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And then at some point, I, I, I wanted to diversify my career a little bit more. And uh, that's when I, I started looking at uh, into um, what would it look for me to, to work for one of my uh, a, a former uh, clients, right? So I, I started looking at different uh, 
governmental entities. One of them was a, uh, a public utility, a large public utility. This was the, uh, the Bonneville Power Administration. It's part of the federal government. It's a very, very large uh, wholesale electric uh, utility. And uh, that's how I, 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 I applied for a job. They needed someone to uh, manage their debt portfolio. I knew a lot about debt, but I knew nothing about uh, electrons or utilities. So um, I interviewed with a CFO and I clearly, clear, clearly remember her uh, asking me, how much do you know about the utility industry? And I said, nothing. I know a lot about debt. I can help you with your debt portfolio if you teach me the, the, the industry and, and uh, she gave me an opportunity. This was about seven years ago. Um, and uh, it, it has been a fascinating journey, uh, just learning how an electric utility operates uh, from uh, from the ground up, uh, all the utility poles, uh, high voltage transmission lines, transformers, generators. Um, uh, where, where I started, uh, the Bonneville Power Administration is uh, mostly a hydro uh, utility, uh, all the generating uh, Power comes from hydro dams, and um, and now here at OPPD, uh, I joined OPPD about two and a half years ago, uh, where uh, our generation plant is a little bit more diversified uh, in terms of technology. We have uh, all the way from from coal fire power plants to gas uh, to wind, and now we're about to uh, embark in in solar. So it's been a journey, uh, just understanding all the different uh, technology that surrounds the, the utility. And at the same time, getting uh, very involved with the asset management part of it. Right? It's, it's managing assets, uh, very, very different technologies, but, but pretty similar uh, concepts of, uh, around asset management and how to, how to best invest in your assets. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about that? Like, what have you been doing on the asset management side? And how does that look like it from your perspective as a, like a financial person? So asset management fell on my lap, uh, really, when I was back at uh, Bonneville Power. Um, we had an asset management practice that was very, very strong, very robust with very, very good uh, individuals. And um, uh, back back then, uh, through some restructuring of the organization, I was in charge of the asset management program at, at, at Bonneville. And uh, so I had to learn all about asset management. And it didn't really take me that long to, to get convinced that this was a critical part of, of a utility. <clears throat> so, for example, um, uh, we, you know, we own uh, billions of dollars of, of assets. Um, we as a utility, we, we would be nothing uh, without our assets. And so for me, from a financial perspective, one of our biggest investments every single year is, is investing in, on our assets, whether it is capital investment or O&M, operations and maintenance uh, investment. It is where we spend the bulk of our, of our resources. So through chatting with our professionals in asset management, it became very clear to me that there is a discipline uh, that we need to follow in order for us to optimize all of this money that we're investing in our assets. There is a very, very, uh, there, there are clearly uh, defined uh, practices and there are differences in the way we, we invest. Investing in the right asset at the right time, in the right sequence, can yield very different results, financial results for the organization. So it was really important for me to, to know that all these hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in, in some instances were invested in the right asset at the right time, in the right sequence, in order for us to extract the, the most value from that asset. Yeah, and I think that that's 
like that point right there is something that even people in asset management and reliability, like I don't think that they necessarily understand that. Like I find it with reliability people, like we're concerned about typically usually the next year, sometimes even the next couple of years, but we're really not looking at that full life cycle of the plant or the full life cycle of that asset. And for me, it's something I've been talking about for a while. And, and I just, I love to, I love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> right. So, so for me, it, I, when we're, we're projecting financial um, uh, plans into the future, it is really, really important for me to know not only how we're going to end the year, our fiscal year, are we going to end in, in the, in a good financial position or not, but also to make sure that all of our investments are really building up our financial framework so that our organization is sustainable for not only the next year, but for the next decade or for the next three decades. Um, so, so for me, it is really, really, really important for uh, to, to understand the life cycle of, the, of that asset, to make sure that we are investing the most um, amount of resources to operate and maintain an asset when it makes sense for us to do so. And also to understand at which point we are thro throwing money away, so to speak, uh, by investing too much in operating and maintaining an asset that is no longer at that stage where that asset needs to be replaced or retired and we need an infusion of, of capital. Having a real clear understanding of, of when to, uh, to, 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 to put that money on either maintaining and operating or reinvesting in capital is one of the biggest conundrums that organizations like ours uh, have, have to deal with uh, every every single day. <laughs> you, you touched a hot button for me and I'll give you the story so then maybe we can get into the nuts and bolts of it. But early on in my career, I did some analysis on uh, some large pieces of equipment and I was talking about that decision exactly, right? Where, how much money are we spending on maintenance versus how much money are we losing on uh, downtime costs and that type of stuff? And then offsetting that with purchasing a new equipment. And I took the results of the study and I spoke to some of the, uh, like the accounting financial people in the organization. And they really, they really told me, or they were saying, that essentially after depreciation, the asset was free to run. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Now, do you want to just give us a, a breakdown of like, what's the difference, what's the difference between capital versus operating? And then maybe give us a like an explanation on depreciation. <laughs> and, and we only have 40 minutes, right? <laughs> so uh, I can always have you I can always have you back on. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to, I'll do my best. Um, so before before I start, let me, let me just preface everything I'm going to say here. It's it's, it's mostly from a regulated utility perspective, um, and I don't know if you or your your listeners are familiar with the regulated versus uh, deregulated framework of the utility industry. But in essence, for us as a regulated utility, we have um, a board of directors that has it's an elected board of directors that sets rates and they have the legal responsibility to set rates and to make sure that we are only recovering uh, the costs from our rate payers only enough for us to run the organization. We open the Omaha Public Power District. It's a, uh, a public power district, meaning it's a government owned, owned by the people. So we, we don't generate profits. Uh, we basically have to charge our customer owners enough to pay for our operations and keep our rates as low as possible. 
So that's, I'm going to preface that most of what I'm going to say is from that perspective, although I'm going to try to uh, also address what, what what would a privately owned uh, organization would do. But it uh, doesn't matter whether you're privately owned or publicly owned, capital and O&M uh, differentiations are, are, are about the same. And really what it says is um, capital expenditures uh, are, broadly speaking, is the money spent by the organization on acquiring or, or maintaining fixed assets. That's typically you know, land, buildings, and equipment. Uh, capital expenditures typically increase the earnings potential of the organization through its assets. And this is this is key. Are we are we investing on something that's going to increase our, our earnings potential or our uh, uh, ability to to serve the public, or are we just keeping what we already had? Uh, another another uh, important element here is time. Timing is key. Uh, is the money is the money that I'm investing today in an asset gonna last for a long period of time, or is it basically gonna be used within a short period of time in the next year or two? Those questions, uh, answers to those questions, is what really determines whether money spent is uh, considered capital expenditure or operating and maintenance expenditures. Uh, I'll give you an example. For example, uh, if we're uh, in the electric uh, utility industry if we are building a new line high voltage transmission line where we're erecting new towers and laying out new cable purchasing land or right away that is clearly a capital expense um, we are increasing the earnings potential of the organization and these things that we're building it's going to last for more than just one year uh, in fact i hope that this thing lasts 30 40 or 50 years Right, so that is that is uh, that is something that would be considered a capital expenditure. An operating or maintenance expenditure would be every year uh, after you install that line, you go back and you you test or you you look for uh, erosion down at the bottom of the uh, of the tower, or if the tower needs painting, or if you need to uh, you know uh, do so, something that that goes around that tower, around that conductor that that won't last 30 to 50 years, but it's more just so that the asset continues to operate in, in a good way for the, for the remaining year. That would be a good example of, of uh, maintenance expense. For example, another good example of this goes on the distribution, um, our distribution system. These are the poles that you see on, on your, probably outside of your, of your house, you see uh, poles and, and conductor. If you live in an old neighborhood where those are above ground, um, the installation of those poles, those poles are typically considered capital. However, we have to do a lot of work around those uh, trimming trees around those so that the branches of those trees don't touch the lines. Well, the tree is going to grow back up next year and the following year, and you're going to have to go back every so often to trim those trees. The trimming of the tree is considered an, an operating and maintenance expense, but the installation of the pole and the conductor is considered a capital expenditure. They're both serving the same function. They're both delivering electricity to your home, but uh, the, the longevity of the investment in this case is what, what dictates whether something is a capital expenditure or an operating expenditure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, is there any limit, like in some organizations, I've heard that there's like over 10,000 counts as capital, if we're talking about like a spare part or a component in an asset, 
versus under? Like, is that is that a thing or is that just a rule in an organization? I would say it's it's both. Uh, some of it is is governed by very specific uh, accounting guidelines, but um, those guidelines are a little bit uh, gray or subject to interpretation, and that's why each company, each organization, must have a very well thought out and a very well uh, crafted capitalization policy. And I would I would recommend that uh, for you and for your listeners, probably one of the best things that you can do as a reliability professional is becomes in, become incredibly familiar with your capitalization policy. Uh, become best friends with your accounting <laughs> uh, partners uh, in the accounting department. They are the ones who, uh, along with other parts of the organization, typically um, draft your capitalization policy. You know, you, uh, for practical reasons, you can't do this analysis of whether something is capital expenditure for every single dollar you spend. You have to set certain thresholds. Um, and so this is where the 10,000 or the 15,000 or $2,000 thresholds come in, depending on the size of your, of your organization. Part of it is driven by, by just pragma- pragmatism. You know, can you, can you really go out and, and, and study all of the investments that you have uh, that are tiny or, or do you just limit that study to larger investments? But in that policy, you will also have guidance on, on what is considered uh, capital, expenditure, or capital or, or O&M uh, expenditure. Regardless of the of the of the dollar amount, um, let me give you one one good example of, of a, uh, something that the capitalization policy will will help you uh, address, and also a good example of how also the capitalization policy should be, in my opinion, be a living document. Um, as technology changes and the market changes, you need to make sure that you have a capitalization policy that that really fits the time that you're living in. Um, uh, many years ago, uh, here at OPPD, we had a uh, our capitalization policy was very clear uh, in that uh, when we install, for example, at OPPD, we we own uh, all of the uh, streetlights uh, in the Omaha region. Uh, so we we own poles and all of the equipment that goes around the poles for streetlights, including uh, the fixtures and the light bulbs, right? Well, in the past, uh, typically a, a capital investment would be the pole. But if you have to replace that light bulb uh, every so often, every two to three years, that is not considered a capital investment. That would have been, would have been considered a um, an operating and maintenance expense. You replace light bulbs every so often in your home or uh, in, in your city. <laughs> That's just an operating ma- uh, expense. Uh, about two years ago, we were considering replacing all of our streetlights from incandescent uh, technology to LED uh, technology. Well, that that opened up a really interesting conversation between the accounting team and our operations teams, where we were saying, "Hey, we're not lo- we're not only looking at replacing light bulbs here. These light bulbs and these fixtures are now our smart." Uh, they actually can talk to each other. So all of a sudden, we were looking at not only replacing a light bulb to light a street, but it was a light bulb that would only not only light up the street, but it would also communicate with other light bulbs around the system. And it would it would tell us whether uh, some parts of the of the system were failing or the LED was dimming. One of the things that we learned was that LED uh, street lights uh, don't just fail; they start becoming uh, less and less bright. 
So these light bulbs had the, had the, the ability to now communicate with each other. And now we, we started looking at our, our, light, our street lights as a system, as opposed to just replacing light bulbs one at a time. That was a really interesting conversation, and we 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 made the case, and, and the operations team made the case, and, and accounting, and my team in finance, uh, we we agreed that we were looking at at something that had that was adding value to the organization. We were managing these more of us as a system, as opposed to light bulb by by light bulb, but but this was a a, a system. Uh, investment we changed uh, the way we were looking at capitalizing uh, before light bulbs were not capitalized now it's not the light bulb itself that it's capitalized but it's a system around the light bulb it's the the, the bulb and the uh, the fixture and all the telecommunication that happens between light bulbs that now that is a, a system and now we are capitalizing it because it's going to last longer also, LED light bulbs now are, are expected to last not only four or five years, but maybe 12, 15, or sometimes 18 years. So it's still the same concept. You're still lighting a street with a street light, but the, the longevity of your investment is, is different, and the type of investment is different that now this is an investment that we are now considering a capital investment. All of this happened because uh, our reliability people and our operations teams uh, understood the capital, uh, the capitalization policy, and they talked to us. <laughs> that's that's a really good example. Now, I, I I guess as as kind of a layman, like should we be trying to capitalize money, or should we be trying to put it into operations budget, or like, and if if one is better than the other, like what's the benefit? <laughs> That's a great question. And my answer to this, and it's a, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek answer, it doesn't matter. So for me, <laughs> if, if, if I were talking to an operations person, you, you, you do what you need to do. You are the expert on how our systems work. You are the expert on our assets. You tell me what is the best use of the dollar we provide to you. And you invest it in, 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 in the best way you, you can. It is our job then later on to figure out if that investment should be considered capital or expenditure. That's in an ideal world the way should, the way the information should flow. Now, in reality, <laughs> uh, it's typically finance uh, who dictates, hey, how much budget we have and how many dollars you have on, on an operating and maintenance uh, bucket and how many dollars you have on the capital bu bucket. And, and you go do the best you can with either or. This is where... Uh, it's a little bit of the, the, the tail wagging the dog, uh, if, if, if you like that analogy. I'm, I'm giving you uh, predetermined amounts of dollars, and I'm, I'm asking you to use them as best as you can without, it, without ever asking you, do you need more operating and maintenance dollars? Do you need more capital dollars than you need O&M dollars? Um, and that's, that's a very unfortunate uh, state that, that a lot of organizations are in. Um, <laughs> it's pretty common from what I've seen. Right, it, it is very common, and, and and so let me let me uh, frame this a little bit better from uh, from a utility perspective and like electric utility. We, um, you know, we're trying to keep our rates low to our to our customer owners. If you are a manufacturer organization, you're you're trying to keep the prices low to your consumers so that they continue to consume your products. Um, one of the ways for us to keep our rates low, for us utilities in general, is, hey, every every operating and maintenance dollar that I have to spend next year 
is a dollar that I have to get from a customer next year, right? It's a one for one. So there's always a pressure in order for us to keep rates low. I'm going to try to keep O&M expenses as low as possible because it's it's less dollars that I have to, to get from a customer next year. On the capital side, the unfortunate effect of that is the capital side, you have you have an option. You can either pay for your capital investments right away with the same dollar you get from your customer next year, or you may choose to borrow to pay for that capital expenditure. If you choose to borrow, you get to defer the recovery of that of that dollar for a number of years. So all of a sudden, a $10 million asset next year, you don't have to recover $10 million next year. You could you could only recover a million dollars every year for a number of years and eventually pay off the debt that you incurred to pay for that $10 million asset. So the uh, one of the one of the unfortunate effects of of this funding paradigm that I described is that uh, in some organization, there's there's uh, a, an incentive to spend more money on capital dollars because they don't they don't have the same pressure that O and M dollars have on your rates or on your prices the following year. You can always kick the can on 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 capital investments in the future. Um, I've seen this happen in previous organizations. I've seen this, uh, you know, chatting with some of my colleagues in other utilities. This effect uh, is very much present in those organizations. Now, the flip side effect is uh, those capital dollars end up being really expensive. When we when we finance capital through debt issuances, depending on how long your debt goes if you issue a 20-year or 30-year uh, debt, um, and depending on the on the interest rate you pay on those, uh, you may end up paying one and a half to two times the cost of your original investment. So when, when you hear uh, people say, hey, capital dollars are more expensive, my guess is that they're referring to the overall, the long-term cost of, of your capital investment if you finance it through debt. Um, so, so I, I just presented the two sides of the coin where, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would rather spend the right amount of O and M or capital that we need to spend the first, the, the year that we're talking about without having the, the, uh, the, the effect of, uh, me dictating to you, uh, uh reliability expert, this is how much you need to spend on capital. This is how much you have to spend on, on O&M. And I don't care what's the optimal investment. This is it. And you stick with that budget. I don't know if, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it was a, it was a really great answer. And like, I'll, I'll give you like, first off, like, I love it. I love it. And I think like, you sound like a really great guy to work for, <laughs> to be honest. Um, like what, what I've seen, you know, over my career is actually the, the pressure has been on reducing the capital side and shifting that money into the operation side. And really, I guess from what I could piece together, I think it's come a lot from like the stock market side. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any, like, can you speak to that in terms of like, how does capital expenditures affect the dividend payment or the stock price or something like that? Well, so th- again, I'm, uh, my organization doesn't uh, issue 
shares we're we're publicly owned so we don't have stock prices but what, what i can what i can tell you is um from a if a privately owned utility um so y- y- you're always not only not only if you're privately owned also if you're publicly owned you're always worried about am i going to have access to capital next time i need a big amount of money uh, am i going to be able to issue debt or issue equity and get that money from the public um and so that's that's a concern. If if you're issuing too much capital, at some point, are you going to be able to continue to uh, keep this flow of funds into the organization? Uh, that's that's a concern. Um, so from from a private company's perspective, and I'm I'm just speaking about the utility industry only. So for your listeners, if if your industry is a little different, I apologize because I'm not that I'm not an expert on other industries. Um, I'm trying to become one on the electric side. <laughs> um, <laughs> if 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 you are a private a privately owned electric utility, um, you uh, you have to report because you're still a regulated utility. There's an there's a public board on on pretty much every state uh, in the nation except for Nebraska, which we're all public power. But other states have what what it's called a public utilities commission, and those folks basically say tell private utilities. Uh, how much they can raise rates and how how what those rates should be uh, going forward. Uh, electricity is considered a, a, an essential service, and so they're saying, hey, if if you're a monopoly providing that essential service, someone at least has to keep an eye on you so that you don't overcharge your customers. Um, private utilities, when they when they make their cases to these public utility commissions. Uh, they say, hey, this is how much money I'm, I'm going to need f- to operate and maintain my utility. The Utilities Commission says, okay, that's great. I, I will allow those costs to go into the rate-making uh, bucket. Um, and they're also saying, and by the way, this is how much money I need for capital construction. And because it's capital, I'm, I'm going to have to raise that money somehow, either through debt issuances or through equity issuances. And if it's equity, then the, the then the, the uh, private utility tells the utility commissions, and you know what? I need I I really need to compensate those people who are lending me the money, either through debt or through equity. Uh, capital investments typically, when they when they are presented to the public utilities commissions, uh, they get a, a more favorable treatment, where the PUCs, the public utilities commissions, will tell the private uh, utility, you know what? Um, I'm going to allow you to earn. A rate of return over this capital investment, sometimes in excess of ten percent, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven percent of rate of return. Um, that's that's a positive for the utility. They're saying, if if I want to if I want to create a, a nice dividend and a nice return for my equity investors, it is better for me to invest my money on a capital asset because the public utilities commission is going to allow me to earn a higher rate of return on those capital investments than they would be on operating and maintaining the utility. So there's there's an incentive, I would say, this is my personal opinion, there's an incentive from private utilities to invest money on capital assets because they will be allowed or the probability of them being allowed to earn a higher rate of return is higher with public utilities commissions, um, so the, my answer is a little contrary to what you were you, what you were describing about uh, not not spending enough on capital. I would say, 
there's also an incentive to spend more on capital because you will be allowed to earn a higher rate of return uh, for your uh, for your shareholders. That's yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's like obvious. Like I haven't worked at a, a public utility. Like I'm working at you know big oil and gas and mining companies. So it, it's 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 a little different. Like we don't really other than you know the price of the like we don't really pass along costs right like it's it's really like the price is set by the public market and you're just kind of dealing with it so right it's a little different but it definitely really interesting now i one thing i wanted to to get your thoughts on before we we start to wrap up here is is this term ibida so for people listening, this is a really common term in, at least if you're looking at share like 10K reports or annual reports, if you're an investor, um, and that that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Can you give us just like an introduction to that and like why it's important for us as reliability professionals to understand it? Yes. Um, and again, I'm going to speak from, from OPPD's perspective. Uh, so EBITDA is, uh, as you said, it, it's a term and it's, it's a, uh, something that's widely used in the financial uh, community. Really what it says, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, and if, if my former finance professors are listening, I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but really the way I explain this to in, in layman's terms is you have all of your operating revenue, all of the revenue that you're bringing in from your operations in the company, minus all of the operating operating expenditures, what you need to operate the organization, that usually results in in your uh, operating income, in your uh, margin, right? How much money do you have left after you've paid all of your basic expenditures? How much money do you have left uh, in the company? Um, Usually on your operating expenditures, you include concepts like depreciation and amortization, which are non-cash elements. Basically, you're saying, um, hey, we didn't really spend money on, on depreciating, depreciating an asset, so you add that back into that number. Uh, and without getting too technical, really what, what, what EBITDA is telling you is, how much money do we have in the company before we, uh, before we have to pay for debt service or for capital or for anything? It's just... After we pay for all of our critical operations, how much money is left in that bucket? In general terms, very, very high level, that amount of money can be used then to pay for taxes. It can be used to pay for, for debt service. And then it can be used to pay for capital investments. In general terms, is those three things. The more money you have left, on that EBITDA, the higher that EBITDA number it is, the better position you are to to pay for those three things. Taxes, as, as I say, there's only one certain thing in life, death and taxes, so you have to pay your taxes. <laughs> um, but then the other one is depreciation and amortization. I would equate that to the amount of principal that you have to pay on your debt. It's not one for one. They are different concepts, but they are somewhat related. So the I, the D, and the A on EBITDA, interest, depreciation, amortization, could be a proxy for how much debt service you have to pay. It could be. It's not. A, it's not necessarily this always the case, but it could be a, a good proxy for how much debt service you have to pay. So going back to OPPD, what we have here is we have a 
an internal policy where we say that our debt service coverage ratio should be at least two times our debt service. That means that our EBITDA, in going back to your example, our EBITDA has to be at least two times as large as our annual debt service payment should be. So you get all your revenue in your year, you pay all of your operating expenses, all your critical expenses, and the money you have left is twice what you need to pay for that service. That's in the case for OPPD. So we pay the service with one half of that money, and the other half is what we have used for the past five years in a row to pay cash for all of our capital investments. This is a, a I would say, a fundamental pillar of, of our financial framework at, at, at OPPD. We have a luxury, the luxury of having these two times coverage uh, built into our financial framework. If our framework only gave us one times coverage, basically as, uh, what it says is that my, my the money I have left at the end of the day is just barely enough to pay for my debt service. That means that any other capital investment that I have to make, man, I, I'm going to have to borrow for it because I have no money left in the year. I'm just going to have to borrow and I'm going to make my debt service increase over time without ever being able to get out of that vicious cycle. Uh, companies that... that that have the financial discipline to start increasing your coverage from one times to 1.1, one and a quarter, one and a half times. In our case, we have a two times that service coverage uh, ratio. We have that that uh, capability to say, I pay for my debt service and I still have a lot of cash left for the year for us to pay uh, cash for our capital programs. Now, our capital programs may be significantly large one of these years we may not have enough cash to pay for all of it and at, at, at some point in the future we may have to issue that again but i have enough cash to pay for that capital now going back to one of the topics we were discussing earlier when when our operations uh, folks come to the budget table i have a lot a lot more uh, capability of telling them you tell me what you want to spend on, whether it's O&M or capital. We have the cash every year to pay for either one of them. We'll code it in the right way. We'll uh, reflect that in our, in our financial statements. But I don't have to force you to spend more on capital than on O&M because we're, we have to issue debt. It doesn't matter. We have the resources available. You tell me how you want to make it uh, happen and we'll make it happen. Um, it is a frankly, a luxury uh, for me to, to be in this position. <laughs> but it, it took many, many years of my predecessors to build this financial discipline for us to have these, this coverage on, on our EBITDA. So that, that's how I would tie your, your EBITDA to, to, to the asset uh, management, reliability, capital investment conversation. Uh, for your listeners, I would say you have to, number one, become really familiar with your capital capitalization policy. And two, understand your financial framework. Sit down with your finance teams and, and figure out, okay, how, uh, how, how, how do they manage their EBITDA? What, what type of debt service coverage ratio uh, they have internally? How, how are they building these in? And uh, how do they finance? How do they make decisions of funding capital dollars versus O&M dollars? The more you understand that piece, the more you're going to be uh, in, in a, the better position you're going to be in to understand the uh, incentives or the, the rationale 
for going for more capital or less capital or, or O&M. I hope that makes sense. Love it. No, I love it. I love it. There was a lot of great stuff there. Now, Javier, we got to wrap up here. And I, I definitely, we're going to have to have you back on because I think we only scratched the surface again. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, like, do you have anything to plug? Like, I'm not going to tell necessarily people to fly out to Omaha and turn all the lights on, but uh, uh, can they follow you on LinkedIn? Are you going to be at any conferences? Like, what do you have to plug for us? <laughs> so, uh, yes, fly out to to Omaha. Um, I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I recently moved here two and a half years ago. And to be honest, uh, I didn't really know much about the Midwest. I flew, uh, I moved here from Oregon. Uh, and it is a, a hidden gem in the Midwest. Uh, rates, electric rates are really low. And, and it's just a fantastic, uh, nice community here in, in, in the Midwest. What we have going on here at OPPD, just a plug. We, we have embarked on a company-wide uh, initiative on asset management. Really, our goal or one of our goals is going to be to eventually become certified, achieving an ISO 55001 certification. Uh, we are very uh, serious about these, and we're, we're excited that we're seeing some of the benefits of achieving such certification. Um, Achieving that means that we have to tap into a lot of people's resources and a lot of people's expertise. And so we've been uh, attending different conferences and, and um, consulting with different uh, experts in, in, in the field. One of the conferences that I found very useful in the past is the Asset Management Ecosystem. Um, uh, this is something that has been, it's been going on now for, for a few years. There's, uh, I think the next one's going to be in Denver, in May of 2020. Uh, that's a plug that I have, and I, I don't get any <laughs> royalties for that. But I have found that a very useful um, uh, way to connect with other reliability professionals, but also other fin finance professionals, people who are looking at improving their asset management practices. doesn't matter whether you're a utility or a manufacturer company or you're building planes or mining. Uh, it's all the same. It's asset management and how to do it in the, in the best way you, you can. It's the whole ecosystem. Um, and the other plug I have, and this is something that I have valued a ton uh, for the past five years since I was introduced to, is the, the Institute of Asset Management. Uh, the, the, the publications, the uh, information that comes out of that organization has been really useful. Uh, this is an international organization that, uh, that looks at, at improving and sharing best practices for asset management, uh, the whole life cycle, life cycle of an asset. As a finance professional, this information opened up my eyes to the, the value of, uh, of, uh, of asset management. Uh, so if, 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 you're, if you're trying to convince or you're trying to pitch asset management to your finance uh, teams, I would highly recommend uh, going to the Institute of Asset Management and uh, you know the, the anatomy of asset management, that publication they have is fantastic. Uh, I found it very, very useful as well as they have a really nice video. I think it's called The Big Picture. Uh, where <laughs> it's just a 10-minute 10, 10 video, but it, 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 it's very compelling. It, it, it convinced me many years ago. Yeah, I've everyone that has ever gotten into asset management has watched that video and it's it is a great video. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I and I mean, I think I'm pretty sure the website for the IAM is is the iam.org, but if you just Google Institute for Asset Management, it'll pop up. They actually recently had their first North American conference in September. It was in Chicago this year. 
but I believe next year it's going to be up here in Canada. So if you're looking for that one, definitely stay tuned for that. I will hopefully try to hit that one up in 2020. Now, Javier, I appreciate you you taking some time out of your day to join us. Yeah, thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to listen to your podcast and uh, best of luck to all of you who are in the journey of uh, improving reliability and achieving asset management excellence. <laughs> it's a journey, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for everyone listening, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you learned as much as I did from this one. We're definitely going to have to have Javier back on because, you, again, we only scratched the surface. And and there's, I mean, I had a list of questions that, that we didn't even get to half of them. So we got a lot more to cover. <laughs> now, everyone who's listening, subscribe to the podcast, Rob's Reliability Project, on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week.